the pen type right now. All right, you guys ready? All right, let's get our word open today. Uh, we always do that. Let's get open now uh, to Romans 3, starting in verse 21. So um, you might notice your handouts um, the last week, this week, next week, and the following week. These four weeks, I'm actually putting the passages on the handout. I don't like doing that. Um, I prefer having you open your Bibles. But during Easter, we generally have more visitors. And so I thought I'd help them out by putting it there on the handout. Just so you know, there's lots of notes today. <laughs> I mean, you've got a good chunk of them on your handout. This passage is one of the key passages on what the gospel is in all of the New Testament. It's, it's right after, uh, in the book of Romans, the first, uh, starting verse 18 of chapter 1 through 320, is really what we call the darkness. <laughs> and this is the turning point uh, where all of a sudden we see the bright light of salvation being unveiled by, by Paul. And I'll get into that in a second. So this is a, a key passage, and I'm, I'm going to walk through it slowly because there's some key themes that you have to understand. Uh, not to be saved, okay, this, the gospel is pretty, it's pretty straightforward. Even a child can understand it. But the, it's like taking a diamond, Right? From afar, you see something's a diamond. Wow, that's beautiful. But you get up closer and you notice all the other facets to it. You hold it to the light and you see different. It's just a beautiful. That's what we're doing with salvation. I wanted to focus this time, it's calling it what Easter tells us. Why do we celebrate Easter? Easter is not just a fun holiday. It's a, it's a lesson. It's God's great lesson to mankind uh, and so I wanted to take four weeks to walk through it, and this is one of the central passages. And, and when I picked this passage, I did it with uh, fear and trembling, because there are books written on this passage. So I know I will not do it justification. I'm just your simple average Joe pastor that you get. <laughs> but we're going to walk through it, and I pray that God's Word uh, would, would pierce to our hearts and get in there and change our thinking about who God is and the salvation He's provided and if you're not a Christian, I pray that this helps you understand what this gospel you hear about is, what this Jesus you hear about, what he did, and why it's so amazing, why we can't, why it's changed our lives. We go to church on Sunday mornings when everyone else is asleep. I mean, that's just one little tidbit, right? But uh, so I pray that this time, this week and next week, we're going to take two weeks on this passage to just, just fully appreciate. I mean, for Christians, I pray that this increases your praise of God, increases your daily worship, because what He did, despite us, is amazing. And if you're not a Christian, I pray that this helps you understand why God had to send His Son, okay? So that's what I hope for this passage today as we walk through it uh, together. And, um, you know, and, and, and just a reminder, last week, what was the passage we looked at last week? Okay, and by the way, if you're a visitor, I like asking questions more fun. What? Acts 17. So Paul is what, what famous city is he in? Athens, okay? Smarty pants, center of the universe, right? All the philosophers there, and they, they hear him preaching in the, in the marketplace. He's preaching about Jesus and the resurrection. But why is Paul walking around the marketplace and going in and saying, why is he preaching? Why is he doing this? What, Sue? Okay, he was trying to reach the Gentiles, but there was something that was said in that passage. You're exactly right, but there's something in that passage that, that, that really got him started. Seeing all the idols to all these different gods, and it, it said it provoked him, it infuriated him. Was he mad at the Athenians or mad at the, I'm hinting, at the deception that they were under? He was infuriated. infuriated. And he didn't start yelling at them. He started proclaiming the good news. And he preached to them. He says, basically, all mankind is commanded by God to repent of your sins, turn to him. And, and how has God proved that he's appointed a judge who's going to come? How did he prove that this, that this was going to happen? The resurrection. The resurrection was God's stamp on Jesus that he is going to be the judge over all mankind and that day's coming. That's what he said, Acts 17, 30 and 31. It's saying, I challenge you all, 
Is Jesus going to be your pro the prosecuting attorney and judge over you, or are you going to have him as your defender, as, your, as the attorney who will stand in your place? Because you've got one or two choices. All mankind does. And that was Paul's, you know, that was directly what he said to those Athenians. He couldn't have made it any clearer. All their religions, what did he say about all their religions? Empty, pointless, deceitful, not going anywhere except to condemn you. All the religions of that day, all the religions of today, there's only two types of religions in the world. I don't care if you start listing off all the different isms and whatever, there's only two kinds. One where man is trying to appease God, whatever God that is they call, and, and do whatever it takes to appease and get rid of this guilt because they all know they've done something wrong and there's someone bigger and we have to be in right relationship somehow. And the other one is Christianity where it says, we can't make ourselves right. God had to make, make a way for us to be right. Through who? Jesus Christ. And that's why the resurrection is so key because the resurrection, which we celebrate on Easter, the empty tomb, is God saying, this is the man. All that he said and did was true. You have to believe in him because he's going to come to be the judge. Right? That's why Easter is teaching us lessons. <laughs> Easter is not just to, oh, let's have, you know, extra special meal with family, which is fine. I have an egg hunt. Okay, whatever. It's about God changing human history. All right? So that's, that's why we're looking. We're taking several weeks to look at it. Acts 17, because Paul is telling the smartest men in the world, you need Jesus. Here in Romans, we have Paul writing to a church. He, he, had, he hadn't been to the Roman church. Rome, the church at Rome had been founded by people who became believers in Acts chapter 2. No apostle had been there yet. So he's writing this letter. He's in Corinth. He's in, the, in his third missionary journey. And he's writing a letter to this church saying, hey, here's I want to meet you guys and, and, and have some fruit with you, meaning I want to have some fruit. I want to have, spend some time with you to teach and see a fruit, you know, see you guys grow in, in righteousness and all that. But in the meantime, he sends this letter, and Romans is what we call the theology of, the Christi of Christianity, Romans 1 through 11. Then chapter 12, towards the end, is just how do you apply it in your personal life and the life of the church. But Romans is huge, rich theology. And this section, Romans 3, 21 through 26, is where everything changes to, to the light. You guys ever been to a jewelry store? What do they put diamonds on to display them? Black. Then they have the light shining, and because there's black, there's a contrast. It makes the diamond just, you know, brilliant. Romans 1, 18 through 20, uh, 320 is the black velvet. Romans, or Acts 17 explains all mankind is under indictment, but this passage here in Romans 3, 21 is now the light. The, the floodlight comes on on the diamond of the gospel, okay? All that to set the stage and to hear your first item there on your handout, what does the first point say? We're in a hopeless, desperate situation. I'm not going to read all of Romans 1, 18 through 3.20. If you, some people that get my handout before, you know, during the week, and I'm sure they're thinking, oh my goodness, he's going to preach all the way through those three. I'm not doing that to you, all right? But I am going to read 3, 9 through 18. Listen to what Paul says, okay? Just listen. What then? Are we Jews? Paul was a Jew. Are we Jews any better off? We have the law. God gave us special revelation. Are we better off? He says, no, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, Jews and Gentiles, are under sin, under condemnation. As it is written, and he's going to quote several passages out of the Hebrew Scriptures to show that this is, this is, the, this is the Word of God. This is God's verdict on mankind. None is righteous, no, not one. No one understands. No one seeks after God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. How? Talk about some imagery, huh? Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps, poisonous snakes, is under their lips. 
Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. In their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. How could he have said it any stronger that man is desperately hopeless and in sin and under indictment? Could he have said it any clearer? I mean, I, I, it's, it's crystal clear. Man is in a desperate situation. And I'm not trying to be Debbie Downer. It's just we have to understand and be honest because we, we tend to do this. Maybe it's just me, but maybe you're in the same boat. I'm, I know I've done some bad things, but I'm better than any of you. Any of you do that? Just me? Okay, thanks. thanks. All right, well, here's why this helps me. <laughs> we are in, in a bad situation. And, it's, and Paul starts off with this because he wants us to know, he wants all men to know, to, to prayerfully be, come to that place of blessed are the poor in spirit, not the haughty or prideful, but poor. You know what? Paul, you're right. This is me. I fit in that category because when you're there, that's a good beginning. And now you can hear verse 21. It starts out, but now. I love that conjunction that says but. That means whatever's been said, now there's a contrast, a change. And that's exactly what's happening in this passage. There's, I, I have so many notes After building a case against all people, showing their universal sinfulness and therefore their universal need of salvation, Paul then spelled out the only way for them to be brought into a right standing with God. From a human standpoint and by nature, people are legalists. What does that mean? Show me the rules, I'll follow them, I'll be good. People, by nature, people are legalists, and this plan he was presenting was radical. This plan, this gospel he's proclaiming, excluded anything and everything that people by themselves might do to attain righteousness. The righteousness God provides has its origin in what God did, not in what people may accomplish. It is received, not earned. It depends on faith, not meritorious activity. God justifies the ungodly, not the well-intentioned. What makes the good news is that no, news is that no one would have come up with a plan that excluded their own contribution towards a future salvation. This is indeed good news, but it's not something man would have made up. Man would have made up, well, you know, the good people, you know, you do this and that, and since you're good, you'll be good with God. This, this good news is, it slaps us in the face at the beginning part saying, no one is good, no, not one. No one seeks after God. We need God to step in. We are desperately hopeless. And again, this whole chapter, or this whole section, Romans 1, 18, through 320, it just reiterates that we're all indicted as guilty. Creation, all of creation points to the fact there's a powerful creator. He's bigger than us and powerful, and we're going to answer to him. Our conscience, Romans chapter 2, the idea, the, the knowledge of right and wrong, that every person in this whole, you know, all of history in this whole world has a sense of right and wrong. We all have a sense of right and wrong. Where does that come? It comes from the image of God in us. All men are created in the image of God. And we have that sense, I've done something wrong. And when I I know that, I have a feeling, and that feeling is called guilt. Guilt is universal. They say if you could cure guilt, you would would empty the the mental health wards of 90% of their people at least. That's what psychologists say. Guilt is a universal human condition because we know we've done something wrong. We need God to step in for us. All people are indicted. 
So here's the, the, the lesson from Easter series is really trying to tell us how can we be right with God, right? Just like, uh, you know, we had uh, the, the, the rich young ruler. He came up to Jesus. What did he ask? Hey, what do I need to do to be saved? That's a good question. The Philippian jailer. Again, if, you, if you're a Christian, you might know some of these stories. Paul is in prison in Philippi. And, and then there's a miraculous event that happens in the night while they're singing praises. They were, they're like, hey, we might be in chains, but we're going to sing praises. It's Paul and Barnabas, I think it is. Yeah, Paul and Barnabas. And they're singing praises. All of a sudden, there's an earthquake, and the prison doors are opened up. The chains fall off. And Paul says to all the prisoners, don't run away. Stay here. They all stay, and he's preaching at them and stuff. The Philippian jailer shows up in the morning, and right away, he's about to commit suicide. Why is that? Because he's on the line for if they were all to be free or if they all run away. He dies for that. So he's, but Paul says, no, we're all still here. And he, he tells them why. And then this Philippian jailer says, oh, how can I be saved, please? <laughs> he saw what had happened. He's like, there's something going on here. But that question is man's universal question. How can I be right with this God? And that's what we're going to see now in this passage. We needed someone to step in because there's nothing we could do. All right, so I'm going to read the whole passage, and I'm going to start breaking it down slowly but surely. You guys with me? If I confused you, you're still, okay, you're still with me. All right, that's good. So here we go. But now, oh, thank you, God, for doing this. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. Listen to, that, listen to that again. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. I got rid of that middle section just to highlight it. God, our situation was so bad, but now you can, not our righteousness, because Romans 1, 18 through 3, 20 says, our man's righteousness is filthy rags. There's no one righteous. But now God's righteousness is on display, has been manifested, has been shown. And it's, how is it shown? Through faith in Jesus Christ. We'll get to that. Just notice what's going on here. He says, it's apart from the law. You can't earn it. And although it was attested by the law, oh, it was prophesied that this righteousness would be coming, this special plan. It's not something new. It's actually out of the Old Testament. And he'll show us in a minute. But the key thing is it's through faith in Jesus Christ. For how many? All who believe. Wait, what happened to the all before but now? What was the condition of all? All indicted. Now it's all who believe are going to gain something here. For there is no distinction whether you're Jew or Greek doesn't matter. There's only one kind of person here. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. That's the bad news. And are justified. That's the good news. By His grace as a what? Gift. The, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood. We'll talk about that word. A very important word. Whom God put forward as a propitiation by His blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in His divine forbearance, His patience, He passed over former sins. Why did He do it? It was to show His righteousness at the present time so that He might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. All right, there's a lot of segments to this, but here's some key things. First of all, the, that word righteousness, the righteousness of God, that word righteousness is seven times in this passage. You might see it as righteousness or justify or just. Those all come from the same root Greek word, okay? Then also another one is faith. Faith is in here four times. But now you'll see it as faith or believing. That's the same word in Greek, pistuo. Okay? So the, a key theme of the whole book of Romans is the righteousness of God. And you look at Romans 1, 
16 to 17. That, go all the way back to that first two verses. It's at the beginning of the book. It kicks off the whole section, and it's, that's the theme for the whole book. It's the righteousness of God. But how do you gain it? From faith to faith. And you'll, you can look at that there. We'll talk about it in a second. So the, this theme is key in this passage alone because it's, it's mentioned, boom, 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 boom. And by the way, that, that word righteousness is uh, 30 times in the book of Romans, and the word justify is also uh, 30 times in the book of Romans. That same root, 60 times in this book. This is a key theme, the righteousness of God versus the what of man? The righteousness of man, or the, really it's the sin of man. So first of all, we have in this in the first two ver- or first three verses, verses twenty one through twenty three, we see God's solution. His solution for our situation is His righteousness in Jesus Christ. Okay, that's the key. There is no other solution for your situation. If you're not a Christian, this is your solution. If you are a Christian, you are here. We found this, but let's appreciate it some more. So first of all, we have God stepping in to provide His righteousness. But now the righteousness of God has been manifested. But now, that's that's referring to the situation before. It was a sad situation. But now something's changed. We're all condemned. Matter of fact, that that passage I read to you, 3, 9 through 20, that's depressing. I mean, reading through that is just like, it's just like, oh my goodness. All right, I get the point. But we have to get the point because it's reality. But now there's a change in salvation history, a significant, truly momentous, the singular event that changes everything. Man stands condemned. We need someone to save us. That was last week. This week we find out this someone steps in. He does something so special so we can move from the condemned to the saved or not guilty. This is courtroom language he's using. Legal forensic language, that word justifies, legal forensic courtroom, okay? I've already talked about the righteousness of God, but here's Romans 1, 16 through 17. This this is the, the overview verses for the whole book of Romans. For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes How can I be right with God? It's contained in this gospel. The answer is in this gospel. To the Jew first and also to the Greek, God decided to use the Jews to bring the salvation through his son who was going to be born of the Jews, Jesus Christ. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith or from faith to faith. The point is, is faith... The righteousness of God is only through faith, by faith, in faith. It's from faith at the beginning and faith all the way through to the end. Faith, 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 faith. All right? That's what he's trying to say. For it is written, and he's quoting out of the Old Testament, showing this is nothing new, the righteous shall live by faith. I already talked about this. The root, is seven time, the root of righteousness is in here seven times in these six verses. And it's the righteousness of God. His perfection, His perfect and pure character and works and ways. He has no blemishes, and yet it's set in stark contrast to man's unrighteousness, wickedness, lack of being like or acting like God, both in our character and in how we live. Man stands condemned by his perfection. It's the righteousness from God. This is also part of this picture here. And this is talking about how man can have God's righteousness, have right standing before God, and yet God can still be righteous and not overlooking our sin. Because here's the deal. If God is perfect and righteous and holy, and there is sin, and sin is disobedience, breaking the law. If God is just, righteous, and holy, His character says, I have to punish that. There is a penalty that has to be paid. That's part of this picture. Why did Jesus come to save? I've come to seek and save the lost, but there's a key word he uses to give my life as a ransom for many. What does ransom mean? 
paying a price. Jesus pays that price for us. Let me just keep going through. There's so many verses that, that pop up, Jesus' own quotes of what he's fulfilling. Jesus provides the payment for the sin and satisfies the justice of God. And that's actually what we'll be using as the title for next week's sermon, We Need His Satisfaction. I'm not referring to what uh, good old, yeah, that song, I can't get no, we got satisfaction through Jesus Christ. He satisfies the wrath of God. Boy, the wrath of God, how's that? Boy, I sound like a hellfire and brimstone kind of preacher, huh? I just have to preach what's there, you guys. Thank you, Jesus, for stepping in. We need a substitute to step in front and take the bullet for us. But now, God's righteousness is coming out to be shown in a different sort of way. His justice condemns all, but now His righteousness is going to do something. What is it? Well, first of all, it's God's righteousness can't be accomplished by man. That's why he says it's been, it's been manifested apart from the law. What that means is you can't do it, guys. The law was given. What is the law when I refer to the law? Am I talking about the code here, the California State Penal Code? Am I talking about that? No, I'm talking about the law as, as in scriptures. So he's saying, look, God's righteousness has been revealed or manifested apart from the law. Well, what was the law in the Jewish mind? Well, how you became righteous by obeying it. He's saying, look, God's righteousness is apart from that because you all been trying to accomplish man's righteousness by the law. It doesn't. It can't do it for you. Why? Because you keep failing. The law's there to reveal sin, not because it's bad, but because it shows God's holy, perfect nature and should, if we're thinking right, Tell us, I can't do it, I need help. Galatians says the law was a tutor to teach us. And it should teach us, we can't do it. And that's Paul's point here. God's righteousness is apart from the law. Not that you discard it, because it is. That's how you walk in God's ways. But it's not to earn salvation, because we can't. Or to be righteous. Okay, do you guys get that? Because again, we are human beings who are legalists by nature. I can do it. Nike, just do it. We can do it. We can build it. Let's make America great. I'm just kidding about that. But, but you guys understand, that's human nature. I can do it. And God's saying, no, you can't. I can, though. God's righteousness can't be accomplished by man. It can't be earned by righteous living by trying to obey the law. The law never brought life. It only pointed out how imperfect we are. Paul even said this, Philippians 3, 4 through 7. Though I myself, he's going through his own credentials. Here's what he says. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If, I could, if anyone could boast, I could. Because look at what I was if anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day. What is he talking about? He's, he's, he's the follow, he follows the law. He's a Jew. He, now, he didn't follow the law in being circumcised. His parents did. But it's to show he's a Jew who was circumcised. Okay. He's of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin. Well, that was one of the tribes that actually stayed in Jewish history. You would know this. They stayed with Judah in the south. They didn't go when the northern kingdom broke away and was evil. They stayed with Judah. Of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews. As to the law, a Pharisee. A Pharisee. They, they, they wanted to be righteous and they had it boiled down to, you know, here's how much you, when you, you're supposed to tithe of your first fruits, right? So if you had a certain amount of, of herbs, you had to take this much out. They had it all, everything laid out. They had rules everywhere. Why? Because they were zealous to keep the law because we keep the law, we're righteous. And that was his mindset before. So if everyone, anyone had the credentials to be righteous, he's saying, look, I had it above everyone else. As to zeal, how zealous was I to be righteous? A persecutor of the church. What? How does that make him righteous? 
The Jews who didn't believe in Jesus thought he was a heretic and should have been on the cross. He was a Pharisee. He led the first stoning of the first martyr, Stephen. He was the organizer of it next. He was on his way to go up to Damascus in Syria. Kind of weird to think about how New Testament history is playing out, you know, what's going on. He's going up to Damascus to go arrest, torture, and, and, and even kill more Christians because he thought they were violating the name of Yahweh. That's really what he thought he was doing. And then God, Jesus knocks him off his horse on the way up. There we have this in Acts chapter 9. And, and he says, Paul, what are you doing? And Paul says, well, I'm, I'm serving you. And Paul, Jesus is saying, no, you're not. He's like, oh. <laughs> Jesus is like, no, I'm really the king. I'm really the one who did come. You need to serve me now. And that's what Paul did for the rest of his life. His change was dramatic and instantaneous. Right away, he begins preaching. There's a little incident where he's blind for three days, but, but he starts preaching there in Damascus, and, and people start becoming Christians. But then the Jews of that city wanted to kill him, so he had to flee. And there's, there's the rest of life's, you know, Paul's story, right? Preaching, he's got to run. Preaching, he's got to run. Eventually, he does get crucified. Well, he wasn't crucified. He's had his head chopped off for being a proclaimer of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The biggest missionary... The biggest writer of the, new, of, of the scriptures. He has more scriptures in here than anyone else. Pretty cool, huh? No one's beyond the reach of God. But the point is, again, all this, what is he saying? I, he had all these credentials, but then something happened. As to righteousness under the law, I was blameless. But whatever gain I had, all my resume before, I counted as loss. Why? For the sake of Christ. It means nothing. My quote-unquote righteousness, nothing. And if he was the best, they should tell us something. Isaiah 6 or 64, 6 says this, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. That's actually a very gross uh, word in the Hebrew. It's really gross. The point is, is that our supposed righteousness that comes from us is gross. They're not righteous. Righteousness cannot be accomplished by man. It has to come from God. That's why God's righteous. The but now, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And it, it, but it, this law or this new, this new way is foretold in the Hebrew Scriptures, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. This potential to be right with God in right standing, separate from obeying the law, this righteousness from God was promised in the past. We see in uh, Romans, 1, uh, Romans 1, 1 through 4, that at the end of verse 1 it says, "...the gospel of God which He promised beforehand through His prophets in the Holy Scriptures." Then we see it again in Romans 4, 3 through 5. What does he say? For what does the scripture say? And then he quotes from Genesis 15. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Now the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as his due. He's due those wages. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is counted credited as righteousness. This isn't a new way of salvation. Abraham was our model. Abraham, this, what God said in Genesis 15, 15 verse 6, this was said to Abraham before there was any law. The law came hundreds of years later with Moses. And yet, Abraham had righteousness accounted to him. Was he righteous? No. He was counted or credited as righteous. What that means is declared not guilty. As a earning or as a gift. Once you pay for a gift, it's not a gift anymore. Once you think you deserve it, <laughs> you, it's not a gift anymore. It was given as a gift to Abraham before the law. That's the point that, that living by faith Believing in God and His promises, that faith in what he, who He is and what He said He would do, that has always been the way of salvation, by grace, through faith. Okay? 
It's not a new thing. It's not new to the New Testament. It was in the Old Testament, promised that a whole new way was going to come that just blows that up. It's called the New Covenant. That was Ezekiel and Jeremiah. They talked about the New Covenant that was coming. Jesus, the night he was betrayed, was celebrating Passover, the Passover Seder. He's with his disciples. We call it communion or the Lord's Supper. It's the same thing. Matter of fact, the, the real Passover is coming up here in a few days. The, it's tomorrow. We, had, we, we celebrated a mini Passover with our life group a couple, week, a couple of Thursdays ago. It was super fun. But he is celebrating the Passover, and when he held up the third cup of blessing, cup of wine, he said, this is what? The new covenant in my blood. He was changing Passover to say, I'm the fulfillment of it, and this is the beginning of the new covenant that was promised by Jeremiah and Ezekiel. Isn't that cool? So when we celebrate, we celebrate for a reason, not because it's a ritual to do, it's what we're supposed to do. The early church did it. Jesus changed it forever. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. His blood that was shed covers our sin, and that's talked about here too. But it's, it's the one that initiated the new covenant. The Mosaic covenant in Exodus 24, I think it is, God had given them the, the Mosaic covenant, the Ten Commandments and the Levitical law and the civil law and all that, and he had it in a book. And it says that, that they did a, Moses did a sacrifice and then he sprinkled blood on the book, which was the blood of the covenant, and he sprinkled blood on the people to initiate that new covenant. Not, not the new covenant, but the Mosaic covenant that God was making with the children of Israel. When Jesus says, this is the blood of the new covenant, he was saying, my blood not the blood of an animal sacrifice. My blood kicks this thing off. You guys get that? Hugely significant what we celebrate in communion. Hugely significant what's happening here. It was foretold by the scriptures. This is very biblical. God's revelation tells us this. Isaiah 61.10, Habakkuk 2.4. 2, that's the just shall live by faith. In Romans 1.17, that's Habakkuk 2.4. Amazing. But he goes on. How am I doing? Oh, good. All right. I'm doing all right. We also see that God's righteousness is available through what in Jesus? Faith. Faith, faith, faith. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. His righteousness is available not through the law, through obeying the law to gain righteousness. This righteousness is gained in a different sort of way. Man has to move from doing to faith. And what is faith? Believing, trusting, resting in. And, it's not, and I said a gain, but it's not really a gain. Matter of fact, on your handouts, I forgot to say this. Let me see a handout real quick. I printed them before I saw this one thing. When it goes to... Oh, F1... We're going to change that next week, okay? Just so you know, F1, I want to be very clear on this. I know what I meant by that, but I, I, we can't say it that way, okay? So a little, it's a theology point, and it'll be changed on next week's. The handout's going to look like this next week. You guys are going, why is this a big deal, Chris? It is a big deal, and you'll know why next week, okay? Because we're not going to get that far this week. Thanks, sorry about that. That's, yeah, sorry, if you're a visitor, that's just what I do. There we go. But here's the deal. This faith, we have to go from doing to faith in our thinking. It, it, faith is receiving and believing that what he said will happen and is true. It's receiving what? The gift. It's accepting it, believing it, trusting in it. And by the way, it's an active, it's ongoing. It's not just, I had faith. It's no, you're having faith. It's faithing. It's a condition you live in the rest of your life. Boy, there's so much with this. I want to make sure it's so clear, you guys. Oh, it's so important. And by the way, we, we throw on that word, that word faith around in our culture today. What does faith mean in our culture? We, they call it blind faith. It's like faith in faith itself. Oh, I'm a spiritual person. I have faith. I'm like, well, what's your faith in because your faith is only as good as what it's in. So here's the deal. I have faith in my abilities. How far is that faith, my faith going to take me? Only as far as my abilities are going to take me, and it's not very far. 
my son leading the way on that charge. Thanks, Jake. <laughs> but, you know, it's true. Your faith, my faith, anyone's faith is only as good as the object of your faith. Okay, this whole thing about our culture, oh, you're a spiritual person, you have faith, and oh, just pray, just be positive. Yes, that's not going to get you anywhere. The Bible is so clear. It has to be in the person of Jesus Christ. Very clear. The person of Jesus Christ, Jesus the Messiah, he is the key to this righteousness, the righteousness of God. God's righteousness becomes ours through faith in Jesus Christ. Faith is not a work, by the way. It's just the receiving. It's receiving what God has given. And it says that it, the key, all the way through, it's in Christ, in Christ, in Him, in Him. The redemption that's in Christ. See, here's the deal. This righteousness doesn't become ours as our condition or our character. It's as to our standing. Because remember, I said this is a legal transaction, a legal forensic language. Forensic means courtroom. We're not declared innocent, we're declared not guilty. Who's the innocent one? Jesus Christ, and that's why we can be declared not guilty. So if we are in Jesus, united to Him by what? Faith. If we are found in Him, I'm quoting different passages of Scripture, but that in Him is key. Being in Christ, united to Christ, believing in Him, baptized with Him in His death, resurrected with Him in His resurrection, Romans 6. There's all sorts of passages that use this language to make it so clear. The only area we are safe, you guys ever play hide and seek, right? Where was the one place you, were, you, were, you couldn't be tagged? Home base. It depends on how you played it, but yeah, that, that one place, that wherever that place is that you were free, right? Home base is Jesus Christ, but there's no hiding from God. That's what we have to keep clear here <laughs> in that whole analogy. Jesus Christ is the sphere or the place of salvation. He is the object of our hope. He's the object of our faith. He is the place for us to be, to have uh, that, that, that declaration of not guilty. Him, him, him. Okay? Romans 4, 4 through 5. Now to the one who works, his wages are not counted as a gift, but as to his due. And to the one who does not work, but believes in him, his faith is counted as righteousness. Paul said in his, he wanted, in Philippians 3, 9, he wanted to be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith. Colossians 1.30, And because of Him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Being in Christ, we have wisdom, Righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Where do you find your hope? In Christ. You need to be found in Him. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus Christ and His righteousness. And who is it for? For all who believe. There's two, two kind of categories in the biblical thought of people. There's two guys, the Jew and the Greek. Jews and Gentiles, okay? But Romans 1 through 2, part of the way through 3, says what about those two categories? They're really only in one category, the condemned. But anyone who believes and is in Christ, you are now not guilty, not condemned. Romans 8, 1, for there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Oh my goodness, don't you long for that? All can be saved now. There's only one category, if you're in Jesus, saved. 
All saved the same way through faith in Jesus Christ. All can have that righteousness of God, that declaration of not guilty because of Jesus, because of faith in him. And again, it's by faith. It rests on faith from start to finish, beginning to end. God's righteousness through faith is mankind's only hope. For there is no distinction, 22, second half, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All mankind, whether you have God's revealed law or just have his revealed character, existence, power and creation, and your conscience, all mankind is condemned. All fall far, far short of God's holy standard, his glory, his perfection. We are hopeless without God stepping in. When we are the active ones trying to earn salvation, trying to be good, quote-unquote, our works only condemn us. We have to move to the passive, the receiving, if there's going to be any hope. God has to be the active one, the one doing something to provide hope, forgiveness, salvation. And then all are exposed to this judge. There's no hiding. There's a Good example here. The Supreme Court Justice Horace Gray once informed a man who had appeared before him in a lower court and had escaped conviction on a technicality. I hate hearing those stories. There's loopholes. There's a technicality that someone who's obviously guilty gets off. That ain't going to happen before the Lord. Here's what Horace Gray said to this guy. I know that you are guilty and you know it. And I wish you to remember that one day you will stand before a better and wiser judge and, there, and that there you will be dealt with according to justice and not according to law. Hear that? The judge who sees all and knows all, no one, no one can hide or escape. There is one escape. If you've got Jesus as your defense attorney, to stand before the judge on your behalf. And we'll, we'll continue with the rest of this passage next week, but I understand that we've said this over and over. I know I've been like a beating a drum here again and again. We have a universal problem. But in what God has done, we have His total and unique and perfect solution. God's only Son It's the only sacrifice. He's our only substitute. He's our only Savior. Jesus himself said it. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father except through me. Jesus said this. I'm not making this stuff up. It wasn't Christians hundreds of years later who said, oh, we we got to turn this rabbi into God, as some claim. From the earliest, the first, from his own lips and from the earliest church, These early Christians in the first century did not die saying Jesus was a rabbi. They said Jesus was God. That's why they were persecuted and killed. God takes action. Man is hopeless without his grace and mercy. And Easter declares, and I say screams, the goodness and love of God. Easter is celebration. Friday night... Crucifixion felt like defeat, but it's actually the greatest victory of all. And the resurrection only proved it. The empty tomb, the hundreds that saw him afterwards, and the hope of his return. It's, and again, when I say hope, it's not I wish he's going to return, it's I know he's going to and I can't wait. Easter screams that. So I pray that if you're a Christian, gosh, look at, as we keep going through through this. Look at what God has done for us. Look at your situation, my situation. Without God stepping in, we're dead meat for eternity. And yet He steps in. God saw that this creation had rebelled against Him, and yet He steps in and says, I'm going to solve the solution. Matter of fact, it's got to be me that solves it. Hey, Jesus, let's go take care of it. Isn't that amazing? I've said this so many times, but I don't know of any better way. I would never sacrifice Taylor or Jake for you. I would never do that. I may sacrifice myself. If there was a bus coming, I wouldn't throw Taylor. Hey, Taylor, push him out of the way. I may do that. Who knows? Maybe I'm selfish that day. Maybe I wouldn't. But that's what God did. And, and it wasn't like Jesus was forced to. 
He came willingly. Did he feel good about it? No. The night before, he says, Lord, if it's possible. He said, this is so weird. I know we talk about God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. They're having a conversation. This just blows my mind up. But here we've got the Trinity talking. And Jesus is talking to the Father saying, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Why would he say that? He was human. He came as the God-man. So he felt, he, he knew it was ahead. But he also said, but not my will, rather your will. And if it was my will, I'd want you all to be saved, but I can't do that. So each one of us has that, that choice to make. And I pray that if you're a Christian, praise God, we're in the same boat. And I pray that we would be better declarers of him and how we live and what we say. And if you're not a Christian and you want to become one, don't you dare leave this place without talking to me or someone else here. Because we want to we wanna introduce you to the king. All right? So let's uh, pray and we'll finish up with the song. God, we love you. Thank you for your goodness to us, your graciousness through Jesus Christ. We don't deserve what you've done for us. Uh, I, I pray that, uh, that we would be people who are unashamed, like Paul said, unashamed of this gospel. <laughs> With this conversation I have with Dave T.G., uh, someone said, this is just too simple. And you know what? It is. We have to believe in you, Jesus, as the one who died in our place giving us forgiveness, hope, and salvation if we'd only surrender to you. It's that simple. <laughs> but that surrendering is really hard. Lord, I just pray that if anyone's uh, thinking this through and they're, they're feeling your, your, just your convicting presence, Lord, I pray that they would, they would turn to you. And if, if we're a Christian and we realize that we haven't fully understood the gospel or we haven't been proud of it, we've been ashamed to say we are your followers, God, I pray that that we would think through that and, and become more bold, more joyful, more hopeful because of who you are and what you've done. We love you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this time of year we celebrate the coming of the King, the King who has come and the King who will come. So for that, we rejoice. In Jesus' name, amen.